We're continuing this morning in the series on the parables, and I'm going to do something I've not done before, and I hope I can do it well. Help me, Lord. Uh, I'm going to preach on two parables that have the same theme. So if you open your Bible first to Luke 11, we'll read verses 5 through 13, and then turn over to Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. And the theme is to pray and don't lose heart, or don't give up. Luke 11, Lord is teaching his disciples how to pray. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer, verses 1 through 4, and then follows them up. We'll begin in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then if you turn over to uh, Luke 18, a similar parable there. The first eight uh, verses. And you can see the theme here in verse 1. The key to the parable is found in the parable, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, that's breaking both of the two great commandments, love of God, love of neighbor, I neither fear God nor uh, respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, give God, will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. Four points uh, to the sermon uh, this morning on this exhortation from these parables to pray and don't give up or not lose heart. First of all, the, the purpose for which the parables are given Secondly, the promise that the parables contain. Thirdly, the problem or some problems with why it doesn't always uh, ring true. And fourthly, uh, the practice that we learn from these parables. So the purpose, the promise, the problems, and the practice. Jumping right in. The purpose. The parables deal with the issue of unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer is a perennial, perpetual problem uh, for Christians down throughout the centuries. And, of course, the temptation is to lose heart. 
verse 1. They ought always to pray and not lose heart, because that's the temptation. You pray, and a day goes by, you're discouraged. A week goes by, and you're tired. A month goes by, <laughs> and you despair. Why? No answer. You ought always to pray and not give up, not lose heart. Jesus teaches you to be persistent in prayer and also why it's important to be persistent in prayer. Now, just a quick glance at the context. If you look at chapter 17, verse 20 and following, it's talking about the coming of the kingdom, and that's a reference to Christ's coming again, his second advent there, all right? So it's talking about Christ's return, his second coming, uh, and uh, the long interval that's between the first and the second comings of Jesus, all right? And it's in that context that Jesus says you ought to always pray and not lose heart. Why do I say that? Well, if you despair after a month, what do you think about people that have been praying for Christ to come back for 2,000 years? Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't lose heart. The purpose. The promise. Look at verse 7 here in chapter 18. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? It's a rhetorical question which expects a negative answer. No. Uh, I'm sorry, yes, he will give justice, and no, he won't delay long over them. Turn back to chapter 11, verse 8. There is also a promise contained there, all right? I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, all right, or persistence, if you will, difficult word to translate, you see the footnote reference there, he will rise and give him whatever he needs, and then the imperatives which follow, all right? Ask, seek, knock, okay? These are promises to provide and to answer, okay? And why? The parables uh, are not comparisons. It's not to say that God is like uh, the unfriendly neighbor or God is like the unjust judge. They're actually parables of contrast. God is not like the unfriendly neighbor. He's not like the unjust judge, all right? So you see the point there. These are parables of contrast. And the point is, if the unjust judge will answer the widow, how much more will God answer his child, his uh, child? And why? Well, look at verse 11 uh, sorry, chapter 11 and verse 13, all right? You see the how much more there as well, all right? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, all right? How much more? The contrast and then how much more? If the unjust judge is like this, if the unfriendly neighbor is like this, how much more will God uh, give uh, to his people um, and to his elect? God loves his chosen people. God loves his children, all right? And the proof of that is seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Lest anybody doubt, lest anybody despair, lest anybody lose heart that somehow God has forsaken us, that God has abandoned you, that your prayers, no matter how much they may appear, to bounce off a hard ceiling and not be answered. God loves his children. In Romans chapter 8, why don't you turn there? I'd like you to actually see this. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is known as chapter about life in the Spirit, but there's a very powerful um, verse here about the love of God. So Paul has gone through life in the Spirit. Uh, verse 29, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified. Notice the past tense here. He also glorified. The future is spoken of in terms of the past. That's how certain it is, God's act. It's absolutely certain, right? God can speak of the future as if it's already past. He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? For a proper question, right? What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And check this out. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What's the temptation in the parables? The temptation is to lose heart. The temptation is to despair. The temptation is to give up. The temptation is then to cast dispersions on God. God doesn't care. God doesn't hear. God doesn't love me. No, 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 no. Look, look, look. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, not begrudgingly, not miserly, not withholding anything, but graciously give us all things? So pray. Don't lose heart. Pray. Persist. Turn back to chapter 11 in Luke. Turn back. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus adds emphatic exclamation, affirmation. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Six times using three different verbs, the promises are reiterated, uh, reiterated underlined, underscored, emphasized, bold print. Six times in two verses, he will answer. God is not like the unfriendly neighbor. God is not like the unjust judge. Persist and don't lose heart. The parable is about God and His grace and His hearing and His answering. And therefore, persist and don't lose heart. And why is it important? Remember, He's teaching us not just what to do, but why. All right? Why is it important? Why not? Why not? Why doesn't God answer immediately? Because your persistence in prayer is a demonstration and an important one. Your persistence in prayer proves your sincerity. It proves your earnestness. It proves that what you're praying for is not a fleeting interest. Here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, no big deal. I didn't get it. I'm not worried about it. No, your persistence is sincere, it's earnest, 
It's not a momentary impulse, but a deeply held conviction and deeply felt desires. That's why it's important to persist. Not for God, but for you and for me. There are things, I'm sure, in your lives that you've wanted. You may translate that want even into a need. Not all wants or needs, right? But sometimes we think that, right? So we want something and then we don't get it. And we forget about it two days later. I don't even know what I was thinking about. No, 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 no. Persistence in prayer is a demonstration, an indication of your sincerity, of your earnestness, of your deeply held conviction and your deeply felt desires. And secondly, persistence in prayer is an expression on, of dependence on God. Is that God is the overflowing fountain of all good. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Everything comes to me from God. Every breath you take comes to you from God. And persisting in prayer is an expression of your dependence on God. One of the problems with lack of prayer is pride. We'll get to the problems in a moment, kind of jumping the gun here, all right? But it's pride. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you express that when you get out of bed in the morning? Or do you go about your day as if somehow you could do a whole lot until it comes to a crisis and then you pray? No, no, no. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And thirdly, it's an expression of human weakness. We don't emphasize, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, we don't Suffering kind of falls in a, a category vacuum in our minds in contemporary North American evangelicalism. And yet the Bible talks about get ready to suffer all throughout. Same thing with weakness. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? When I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness. Dependence on God on God. Well, there are some problems or reasons why there's unanswered prayer, and I present these without any infallible insight into whether anyone in my hearing is actually guilty of the problems that I'm going to present. So I am not addressing anyone in particular except that the Bible teaches these things. And if you are struggling with unanswered prayer, then you should examine yourself in light of the Word of God and ask for the Spirit's help as to whether or not this is maybe a problem that you're experiencing. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 3. James chapter 4 and verse Three. You ask and you do not receive unanswered prayer. Why? 
because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. One of my favorite singers from my hippy-dippy days was Janis Joplin. You may or may not know her. Oh Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. God doesn't hear prayers like that. Why? Because it's selfish. He has to spend it on your passions. No. It's unanswered prayer. Selfish. There's the reason, right? Look at 1 Peter. Turn forward. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7. Talking about wives and, and husbands. By the way, 1 Peter is just filled with suffering, right? Christ calls us to follow in his footsteps. He left us an example by walking the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. It's the cross before the crown. It's suffering before glory. And in chapter 3, example, an unbelieving, uh, a wife married to an unbeliever. Wife married to an unbeliever. And then Peter flips the coin in verse 7 and addresses husbands. Says, husbands, live, your, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. A lot could be unpacked there. We don't have time this morning, all right? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then look at this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Unanswered prayer. Why? Husband dishonoring his wife. A husband can't dishonor his wife. Husband can't abuse his wife. A husband cannot disrespect his wife. A husband cannot live with a wife in less than an understanding way and then expect to be all pious. And, oh, yeah, yeah I'm going to go about my devotional life. And uh, I'm sorry, you've got time for prayer now. No, God won't hear. God won't hear. Let's look at a couple of Old Testament passages. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, verse 9. Proverbs 28, verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Last couple of weeks we talked about you can't live like hell and expect to go to heaven, right? Well, here are people that are living like hell, but they want to pray. This was Israel much of the time, right, in their history. I was listening to Jeremiah yesterday uh, on, my, on my travel. <clears throat> How many times in Jeremiah does God through the prophet say, I spoke to you, I told you what I wanted, you didn't listen, you didn't listen, you disregarded me, you disobeyed me, you chased after, you whored after your idols, on and on and on throughout the whole book. And repeatedly God says, don't think I'm going to listen to you when you don't listen to me.
The temple, the temple, the temple. Israel says. God says, don't make me laugh. Don't claim the temple when you are not living as I've told you how to live. And certainly don't expect that I'm going to accept your abominable sacrifices or your prayers. Look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but... Notice what it says, right? Don't think God can't hear. God can hear. But... But... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. This is spoken to all civil religion in North America. This is addressed to political rallies, the politicians who want to vote for abortion and all other kinds of abominable practices contrary to the word of God, which are an offense to him. And then, well, God bless America. Give me a break. God hears, but, but. Look at John 9, verse 31, in a similar vein. John chapter 9, last reference. John 9, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. I guess this addresses presumption. That as a people, I'm talking about North America, as a people we just expect that we can pray and God's going to hear and answer our prayers no matter what. Yeah. I believe in some in God we trust. 1950-something, we decided it was a secular, non-sectarian God. It's a God of our own making. God, God's not just waiting for you to come to him. No. God hears those who come to him through Jesus Christ. God hears those whom he has loved and who love him makes all the difference in the world. Can I give you some examples? Paul Miller, in a book that we as council are studying uh, now on prayer, a chapter called The Glimpse of a Praying Community, he talks about five Williams College students in 1806 taking shelter from a thunderstorm in a haystack They started to pray for world missions. 
The five students were relatively wealthy, busy, and faced with the society that was increasing, increasingly cold of heart. Because of the impact of Enlightenment secularism, American church attendance was at an all-time low. And yet the Haystack prayer meeting ignited a groundswell of prayer that led to the greatest period of growth the church has ever seen. Over the next hundred years, hundred years, professing Christians went from 10% to 30% of the world's population. Five college students praying, not knowing whether their prayers were being answered at all. Until a hundred years later, somebody that keeps statistical evidence indicated God heard, God answered, a hundred years later. Two thousand years later, we're still praying Maranatha, Jesus come quickly. Persist and don't lose heart. My adopted Jewish mother in Brooklyn I'll tell you some of the details of this story. Betty. When she was young, she was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. She fell in love with Frankie Catanzaro, an Italian. Now, in the early 20th century in Brooklyn, Jews did not marry Italians. They fell in love, they eloped, got married, and were cut off from their families until they had kids. Kids came, they were reunited somewhat with their families. The boys grew up, they had two boys. When they grew up and got to the age of 13, Betty said, I would like my boys to be bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is a rite of passage in the Jewish synagogue. Frankie loved Betty. Frankie went to the synagogue and said he would like to have his boys bar mitzvah. The rabbi said, we can arrange that. Frankie was glad. Until the rabbi said, but you have to convert. Frankie loved Betty and said, I'll convert. Eh, the rabbi said, you must be circumcised. <laughs> Frankie loved Betty, got circumcised. The boys were bar mitzvah, never attended synagogue, but that's another story. Not too long after that, Betty attends a coffee clutch and becomes a Christian. Frankie was not amused. Every morning and every night for 10 years, Betty prayed, Lord, give me my Frankie. Lord, give me my Frankie. Ten years. Every morning. Every night. With an unbelieving husband. Just as I came on the scene after my own conversion and came to the church, Frank was sick. Betty was somewhat old. <clears throat> Frankie was converted, had become a member of the church. 
Frank died, and he's buried in a Jewish cemetery out on Long Island. Ten years. Pray and don't give up. Persist and don't lose heart. William Wilberforce fought the battle against slavery in parliamentary halls in the United Kingdom. Don't hold me to exact numbers, but I believe it was 40 years praying that God would end the scourge of slavery on the nation. 40 years. Pray and don't lose heart. Persist and don't give up. Ask, seek, knock. God is not an unjust judge. God is not an unfriendly neighbor. How will he not also give us graciously all things since he has given his only begotten son to bear your sins and undergo the horrors of hell on your behalf on the cross of Calvary? Can you doubt his love? Can you stand at the foot of the cross? Can you kneel there and pray and claim that maybe God doesn't hear, maybe God doesn't care, maybe God doesn't love me? Pray and don't give up. Persist and don't lose heart. So what practical takeaways can we get here? Obviously, Jesus is teaching us as disciples to pray. To pray. Prayer should be regular and disciplined. It's not so much a sermon on prayer, but just some guidance, some instruction. Regular and disciplined. If you are um, sincere and earnest, if it's not a fleeting interest, if it's a deeply held conviction, a deeply felt desire, then your prayer, make it regular, make it disciplined. It should be comprehensive and consistent as well. So pray. Pray, secondly, pray confidently. Pray believing, right? One author puts it this way, talking about the widow. She was a stranger to the judge, whereas we are his elect, his chosen. We are God's own people as Christ's disciples. The judge had... Sorry, the judge had no affection for her, whereas God loves us. She was one, we are many. She was a lone voice crying for help, we are many voices. We may seem few, we may seem outnumbered against the elite in the academy, the media, and among the entertainers, but we are many. She pled her own cause, whereas we plead God's cause. Our great end in all our prayers is that God's kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as in heaven. And we are asking God to do that which he is already predisposed to do. Her judge was hostile. Ours is inviting. He says, ask and you will receive. Her judge was unjust. Ours is righteous. Her judge was provoked by her pleas. Ours is pleased. Her judge would hear her at certain times only. Our judge hears us at all times. 
If she got what she was asked after from a dishonest, greedy, and unjust judge, how much more certain can we be that God will hear our cries and vindicate us, protect us, and provide us? The Heidelberg Catechism concludes with this very interesting statement. It's the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is dealing with our gratitude or our thankfulness, our loving response to God's delivering us from sin and misery through the person and work of Jesus Christ, is concerned mostly with the Ten Commandments as a rule of gratitude, how we're to thank God and love him, right? And with prayer. Very helpful. Just a little aside here, minor uh, digression. If you're having difficulty praying, get out the Heidelberg Catechism. The answers to the questions on the Lord's Prayer are composed as prayers. Use them to spark your devotional life. But it gets to the end. The end, the last question has to do with the little word at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Remember what that little word is? Amen. Amen. What does that little word, amen, express? Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. And catch this. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Our faith is weak. We're filled with unbelief. We're tempted to doubt. We're tempted to despair. We're tempted to give up. What does amen mean? It's much more certain that God has heard my prayer than whatever is going on inside here at the time my lips are moving. Amen. Pray. Pray confidently. Pray believing. Look at chapter 18, Luke 18, and verse 8. So kind of an interesting passage, a lot of ink gets spilled on this by scholars. What in the world's being talked about here? Luke 18, verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All kinds of eschatological gymnastics are done over the intent of Jesus' words here. Look, as I tell you a million times, a text without a context is nothing but a pretext, all right? The context has to do with prayer, all right? Broadly considered, going back to chapter 17, it has to do with eschatology. But what, 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 what's he talking about here? This is a challenge. This is a challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me. If you're a Christian, this is a challenge to persist and don't give up. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Of course he'll find faith. His elect will be here, right? That's not, it's not an issue. Will he find faithfulness? Will he find those to whom he taught about prayer are faithful in prayer, are persistent in prayer, are praying and not giving up? That's the challenge. Pray. Pray confidently. Pray believing. And above all, pray and don't lose heart. Amen. Father, we thank you.
for the promises and the encouragements of your word. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. How quickly do we not only give up, but Father, forgive us. How quickly we are to cast dispersions upon you. To not only doubt your answer, but to doubt your love, to doubt your care, to doubt your concern. Even though we are the ones who know and believe that Jesus Christ bore the penalty for our sins on that cross. Father, help us. We indeed are weak. And we are a dependent people. We ask that you would help us to pray and not lose heart. And to do so in wholehearted dependence upon you. The God who has loved us with an eternal love. And demonstrated it on the cross of Calvary. For Christ's sake, amen and amen.